Well, good morning to all of you. Thank you. That was very sweet. Came from over here. It's always a joy to be standing before you, and this morning is really no different. I want you to know that the grace of your friendship and the joy of your worship and the peace of your company is always refreshing, and I want you to hear that. I want you to know that I see that in you, and I think that you all see that and appreciate that in each other, and that's an important thing for us to hold on to when I read the first verse of this text, which where Paul calls all the Galatians fools. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Somebody, uh, somebody else translates that as idiots. Um, and I want you to know that I don't think that you're all fools. We're not reading this text because I think that you're fools or idiots, but I think there is a foolishness that Paul is speaking to in this passage that can just be so easy for us to fall into. And it's simply this, that while most of us can, um, can accept and believe in the idea of justification by grace alone through faith alone, we can then believe that the rest of our Christian life, the rest of our progression in the Christian faith is really all about what we do, that it all becomes performance. Justification by grace, but sanctification by works. That is just such an easy thing for us to fall into. I'll say that, you know, that can lead, that kind of thinking can really lead to a a very anxious church, a very competitive church, a very divided church. It can lead to those things. And Paul calls it all. He is speaking to all of that. And he calls it foolishness. That is the foolishness that Paul is arguing against in this passage. Let's look together. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us and among us, that you would be near to us over these next few moments, that you would call our attentions to what, what it is you would have us consider as we look at this passage together. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in ways that we can hear and that you would build our affections for you during this time. I pray you would help me to honor what it is that you're saying to us in this passage and to love these friends well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a, if you're a, a gearhead, that's not really true. You don't have to be, you don't have to like love cars or cars to be your hobby or passion to really appreciate this because I, I don't actually. But there are several car refurbishing, antique car refurbishing shows that are out right now. There's one that I kind of got particularly taken with. And uh, it's really, it's set in a small garage in California where you have four, um, you have four men that, you know, just have a, a comprehensive knowledge of the work that they're doing. And uh, I think that's what grabs me every time I look at this passage, or this show, because every, every time I do, what I get a sense of is an expert, a true expert, uh, applying, uh, applying comprehensive knowledge to their craft. And what these guys can do is really amazing. They can go to a junkyard and they can look at things that, are, that you and I might consider junk. They can look at decades-old uh, vehicles that haven't run in a long time, that are rusted out and junked out, and they can immediately identify like what the vehicle is, when it was made, what engine was in it, if it was famous at, ever, at, at any time in history and why. And, uh, and what they can do that's really amazing is they can look at something and uh, they can see, not, not as we would see it, but they can see its potential value uh, within, you know, pretty proximate estimate. They can see its potential value if they just put a little work into it. And what we see in this section of Paul's letter is that he is calling their attention to, he's really fighting for them to understand something that he sees in them, something of immense value, and he wants them to understand its value as much as he does. More than that, he really wants them to understand its value as much as God does. And what is that? It is really simply the contents of their faith. And I don't know about you, but I think I need to hear this as much as anybody. Because I think it's so much easier to look at something that you can touch and taste and feel and see and understand. And that helps us to understand the value of something. I think it's much harder to put value on something that feels in our own hearts like it might be fluctuating. Like it might be ephemeral, like it might disappear on us, it can feel that way. It's far easier to think about our value in terms of what we produce, or what our friends look like, or what our family looks like, or what our life looks like. But what Paul is arguing about, arguing for, is helping us to understand that there is something in you that is of so much more value than anything else in your life. So much more important. What does Peter say about your faith? He says, your faith is precious. More precious even than gold. 
Paul makes this argument in several ways. I just want to highlight two. Paul says it's by your faith that you are redeemed. And it's by your faith that you are perfected. So redeemed by faith, we are redeemed by faith, and we are perfected by faith. And that's what we look at here. We see Paul tells two stories of faith here that looks at, uh, right at the beginning of this passage, he tells the story of the Galatians, what it looked like for the Galatians to come to redeeming faith. And then he tells the story of Abraham coming to faith in God as well. And then he begins comparing the two. For the Galatians, look at verse 1. It says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, publicly portrayed is simply advertising language. In that world, it would have been to, to declare publicly in the public square. Uh, it might have been to post a placard or a public notice of something. But what Paul is clearly referring to is the time when he publicly portrayed, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross as an atonement for our sin. He said, it was before your eyes that I made Christ crucified um, evident to you. And there was a time when you took hold of that by faith. Now, how does that work? How does that work? According to God's standard of justice, our sins demand our death. And according to God's generous mercy, that he accepts Christ's sacrifice as a full payment for our sin. Trusting that truth. If you're here and you're wondering, what does it look like for me to be a Christian? That's it. That's it right there. Okay? We, we can complicate everything. But I want you to hear this. That's what it means. Taking hold of that truth by faith. Christ crucified on your behalf means that you are a follower of Christ. That's it. Everything that's necessary to accomplish your redemption is through that faith right there. And then Paul does something really, really interesting. He, uh, he then starts telling the story of how Abraham came to faith. Now, this is really important. Remember what Paul is arguing about. He is arguing against the authority of Judaizers, people that really appreciate their Jewish heritage. And so he is pointing to the inception of the faith of one of the fathers of their faith, one of the fathers of their tribe. And what does he say? This, he starts in verse 6. This is just a perfect example. It's, it's wonderful. He says, consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I need you to hang with me here, but he is citing something right out of Genesis 15 when he says that, okay? And in that passage, Abraham was operating with a divine commission. Uh, what was it? It was, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That through Abraham and his family, they are the vehicle of God's blessing to the entire world. That God is saying, I will save the world through you and your people, you and your offspring. But when, when we get to Genesis 15, there's a real problem. Both Abraham, his name was Abram at the time, both him and his wife, Sarah, were, uh, were without child. And so Abraham brings this up to God. He says, um, O Lord, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. 
which means somebody else is going to inherit, somebody from another family is going to inherit his wealth. And God responded to him and said, this will not happen. A son will come to you. A son from your own body will come to you, and he shall be your heir. And then it says, the, the passage that Paul quotes, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is important because this is the Old Testament passage that Paul is pointing to to help the Galatian Christians understand what it means to, have, to be a Christian. What God said to Abraham was, I'm going to save the whole world that they will know my blessing through one of your descendants. That the salvation of the world won't rely on earning or attaining or self-improvement or self-actualization. It will rely completely on faith in one person, one. And look, I owe this insight to another pastor, but this is just amazing to think about. When Abraham believed, it, says, it doesn't say that Abraham suddenly became righteous. It said that he was counted as righteous. Now, what does that mean? That's really important. Counted as righteous. That's, a, that's an accounting word. It could mean credited. It could mean reckoned. Uh, different translations have different ones, but it's a, it, it, it means that righteousness was credited to Abraham, that it, it became his. And all the benefits of this righteousness became his, and they accrued to him. But, he, but it's not his own righteousness. It was a righteousness that was, that was put on him. And so through faith, because he believed what God said, he was given an alien righteousness. And if you go back, go back to Galatians, look at verse 8. Paul says, and this is so profound, Paul says that this was the gospel given to Abraham. And, what, and if you're not following me, come back. I, I need you to hear this. What Paul is saying to the Galatians is the gospel that God delivered to Abraham when they were counting stars together and numbering their descendants in Genesis 15 is the same gospel that Paul delivered to the Galatians. And dare I say to you now, is the same gospel that you take hold of by faith. It is a timeless gospel. It has been at work since the beginning of the world. And it was always God's plan for you. And all that's necessary for the redemption of your very own being is to take hold of it by faith. Now what's Paul teaching us here? He's teaching us a lot of things in this passage. But one of the things that Paul is teaching us is something, is just what I want to call gospel purity. Because he's helping us see and understanding his timelessness and understanding the sufficiency of our faith because of what Christ did to us. He's helping us see that we don't need to add anything to this. That the gospel is so exquisite, is so beautiful, it is so timeless, it is God's plan for the redemption of the world that to add anything to it or take anything away from it is to destroy it completely. Paul's a gospel purist. And there are times where we add one thing to another and it makes the experience of them both better, right? We do this all the time when we're eating. Like when we 
pair a good wine and a good cheese. Some of us like to to dip our French fries into a Frosty or a milkshake. I mean, that is just, I think that's a foretaste of heaven, right? When we put a good sauce on a good pulled pork. What Paul is saying is that to do that to the gospel is to actually ruin it completely. You don't put steak sauce on a ribeye, do you? Because it decreases the goodness of it. All that's left is to trust it and enjoy it. And Paul is saying the gospel is so wonderful that you can receive it as it is and it is sufficient to accomplish your, the redeeming work necessary in your heart. You are redeemed by faith. He's also teaching us gospel attachment. And I want you to catch this here. This is really interesting. Look at verse 7. Those of faith are sons of Abraham, that you are now participating in the family of God's people. That, and then verse 9, those of faith are blessed along with Abraham. I don't know if you notice this, but when we took our vows, we're not asking any kind of like deep doctrinal questions in those vows, are we? Like we're not requiring you to understand that. Well, all that we're requiring you to do by, uh, by virtue of, is by virtue of your faith, make a, make a public profession of your faith, and join the church. That's, that's, that's really as, as elementary as it gets. Paul is saying it's your faith that joins you to God's people. And it joins you to Abraham so that you share in blessings right alongside Abraham. And look, I don't know where you are in your faith. I, I, don't, I mean, some of you have a very mature and seasoned faith, seasoned with grace over a lot of years, and I learned from you, okay? But some of you might feel like your faith is really struggling. Some of you might feel like it's up and down. And some of you might feel like your faith, whatever it is, is in your kind of something you know in your gut, but something you're still trying to understand in your head. Some of you might be straining at faith. But I want you to understand that if you even have a little bit of faith, Jesus says faith, even the size of of a mustard seed, then it truly is the most wonderful thing about you. It is the gem in your heart that makes you beautiful to God. And it's worth treasuring. And it's worth seeing in each other. And it's worth dignifying in each other. It is truly wonderful. And if, if that's not it, Paul doesn't stop. He says we are redeemed by faith, but he also says that we're perfected by faith. Now, this is a central issue for us. Because what does it look like for us to not just become a Christian, but, but to progress as a Christian? What does it look like? How much does our faith in Jesus really affect our life change? What it makes us, like, how does our faith in Jesus make us less angry or less anxious or less prone to fear? How does it make us more hopeful and more joyful and more peaceful people? How does that work? And usually it's right then, right when we're asking those questions, that we all start giving each other things to do, right? Like, like let me tell you, there is a lot of money to be made uh, publishing books on what it looks like. Here are the things that you need to do to grow in Christ. And those things might have good advice for you, okay? I don't want to disparage all of that. But what Paul is trying to do is, is help us to understand about this in, a, like in, in the proper way. He's saying if you just start immediately jumping to things to do, you're going to miss the most important thing, one of the most important things about what your faith does for you. 
That your faith, it's your faith that actually protects you. That just, just as we came to faith through seeing Jesus Christ, so we continue in faith through seeing Jesus Christ crucified on our behalf. And, and now how do we think about this? What we're talking about really is what we call sanctification, okay? If you're unfamiliar with that word, you are justified by faith, and then the rest of your life is growing into, uh, is growing in, uh, is maturing in Christ, and that is what we call sanctification. Now, you were, so you were justified, and remember, just like Abraham, we were, we are enjoying an alien righteousness that's given to us, okay? And, uh, and so sanctification, if you can follow me, is how we grow into the righteousness that's been given to us. It's, sanctification is becoming who you already are. If I take one of my shirts off and put, I'm not going to do that to you, or maybe I'll pull it out of the drawer, okay? Is that a better image for you? If I take one of the shirts that's sized for me and I put it on one of my sons, then I'm not worried. I'll, I'll say, it's okay. He's going to grow into it, Right? And, and, and I'm very, I can be supremely confident about that because I know my son and I know that he's growing and barring any unforeseen circumstances, then, then he's going to grow into that shirt. When we come to Jesus Christ in faith, what Jesus does is he puts a great big t-shirt of righteousness on us and then, and then he helps us grow into the righteousness that we already have. That's what sanctification is. And Paul is supremely confident that that will happen. In another letter, he says, He who began a good work in you will bring it into completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Paul so confident about this? Because he who authors our justification, our right standing with God, also authors our sanctification, our growth into Jesus Christ himself. Because look, there is an awful lot of mention in this passage about the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of God's people. Look at verse 2. When you were converted, you received the Spirit. Verse 3, you began by the Spirit. Verse 5, he supplies the Spirit to you. John Stott says that when we receive the Spirit... It is evidence of a double blessing. The first blessing is our justification, is what he would say. And the second blessing is the Holy Spirit. And he never bestows one gift without the other. That everybody who received the Spirit is justified, and everybody who is justified receives the Spirit. And here's the kicker. The Spirit is the major player in our sanctification. Because when you come to faith, what we're told through Scripture is that the Spirit actually indwells us, that he, start, he speaks to us. Scripture tells us that the Spirit prays for us. The, the, the Spirit even shapes our desires, that the Spirit is the author of change in our own hearts, that the Spirit works in us. In, in, in ways that are wonderful. Later on in Galatians, Paul is going to outline some of the fruit of the Spirit. And what's he going to say? He's going to, the fruit of the Spirit makes us people of peace. It makes us people of patience. It makes us people of self-control. That's a big deal for me. I could use some of the Spirit's help on that, right? 
And so the way we grow into these things, listen, the way we grow into these things is that the Spirit, the Spirit's work is to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to our hearts over and over and over again. That the Spirit images Jesus Christ crucified right in our very souls. And so how do we become more patient people? Is that we learn to look at Jesus who is eternally patient with us. How do we learn to become more faithful people? Well, we keep looking at Jesus Christ who is completely and perfectly faithful. How do we grow into people of peace? Well, we look at Jesus Christ who is the king of all peace. So when we talk to you, listen, not for nothing, but when we talk to you about what it looks like to nourish a deep faith, and we begin talking to you about Bible studies and books to read and book studies together, book discussions, when we start talking to you about classes or just time together or valuing your community group or memorizing or whatever, like all of it, like I want you to understand it is not because you don't have enough to do. And it is not because we want to be a church who's just really, really busy. But it's because we see something of immense value in you that's worth treasuring. And if it's worth treasuring, it's worth nourishing. And that's all well and good until the rubber meets the road, right? How, how much we grow in Christ, uh, how, how much we can see Jesus Christ, uh, matters, especially when we're in a time of great difficulty. Just think about it a second. Some of you might be in a time of great difficulty. Some of you might be headed toward a time of great difficulty. But let me just ask you, can you see Jesus in those moments? Like when you're stuck in conflict with someone and you're really mad at them and they're really mad at you and they're talking about you. And it's hard not to see, it's hard to see this as anything but a really black and white situation where you're right and they're entirely wrong. Let me ask you, what's going to ease your soul? What's going to give you real comfort? Is it going to be revenge? Is it going to be a repayment of the debt? Or is it looking at Jesus Christ who is crucified for your sin as he makes you right with God forever? How about when you're in despair that your work is ever going to be enjoyable and money's a little tight and your boss is just the worst? What's going to ease your soul during that time? What's going to bring you real comfort? Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified, the one who knows you and loves you and promises you that this isn't forever. What about when your kids are ignoring you and every conversation is difficult? What's going to ease your soul? Getting them ship shape, perfect behavior, perfect all the time? Or is it going to be Jesus Christ, the one who laid down his life for his own rebellious children? How about when you're looking at the mirror and you just hate what you see? Or maybe when you're chronically ill, or maybe when you're facing death. And you're just feeling so perfectly the, the frailty of your own body. What's going to ease your soul? Jesus Christ crucified. Accepting death. 
and promising a glorious body in the new heavens and the new earth to those who are his by faith. Several years ago, I have a friend. He had a great life. He had his own business that was very successful. He had a great family. He had great friends. Guy was super funny. Everybody loved to hang out with him. And much of what he imagined for his life, he had. And then one day, and it happened quickly, he was in the hospital, just suddenly. And I'm missing some of the details here, but he had blood clots in dangerous places. And he was told by doctors that, uh, that he he was facing he was facing the possibility of death during that time now he did not pass away thank goodness he's still alive uh, but I got a chance to talk to him after that happened and he said this is really amazing to me he said you know Charles you lay there in the hospital bed and you begin thinking about all the things that you value he said you begin thinking about what you've done with your life and all that mattered to me and I didn't want to leave any of that behind, but I wasn't afraid either. He said, I knew that whether I was going home to meet my wife or I was going home to meet my heavenly father, I was going to be okay because I could see Jesus Christ crucified and I knew that I would be okay. What was my friend showing me? He was showing me his faith. He was not a perfect man. I, know, I knew him and I knew that and he knew that about me. But he had a faith that worked out the angst of life in one and only place that it could find resolution, at the foot of the cross where Jesus Christ was crucified. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, help us to see you. Help us to see you before anything else we see. Help us to see you. Build us in faith as we look at you. Help us to love you, give us a passion for you. But Father, I pray that you would give us a deep sense of the value of the faith that you are working out in your people. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.